This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luke Levy Dumebre. And I'm Yannick Mayer. And what's our topic for today, Yannick? Magic the Gathering. And today is a special episode because today I can... Wow, I can touch Yannick today. It's nice. Yeah, and you're a little bit too close to the mic. <laughs> uh, so... Oops, sorry about that. Yep. Uh, but before that, we have some follow-up. Um, so I'm going to start off by plugging something I was involved with, and that is episode four of the Super Nintendo Exploration Squad podcast, where myself and a few other people discussed uh, Tetris 2, which is a really bad Super Nintendo puzzle game. Uh, so the episode isn't out as we're recording this, but it's going to be out uh, the day the episode will be posted. So check to the show notes if you want to go listen to that. Um, next up, on episode 47, we talked about Pokemon Go. Woohoo! And the first anniversary of the game was very recently, and they held a real-life event in Chicago called the Pokemon Go Fest, and it ended up being a complete disaster. Um, this was marketed as an opportunity for people to catch Pokemon that are usually exclusive to other regions in the world. However, there was so much server activity that weekend that servers were down for most of the event. And a lot of people who were very angry that traveled from elsewhere, uh, only to have the game be down for the bulk of the event, were furious and kept yelling, fix the game at the Niantic uh, CEO during the event whenever he was on stage. Uh, and I understand why they're mad, because it was also going to be the launch event for Legendary Pokemon in Pokemon Go. Uh, they launched Lugia, which is the very first Legendary you could catch in Pokemon Go. Uh, so in, in compensation, they're going to give anyone who went to the Pokemon Go Fest $100 in premium currency and a refund on their ticket. Uh, so unfortunate for Pokemon Go fans who went to that event. And is it me or at some time Niantic started to blame carriers around the area where the event was held? They said they were working with carriers to resolve the issues. But yeah, they didn't want to be the sole responsible party for what was going on (laughs) at the event. Good. Is that it for your follow-up? Yep. Okay, so uh, on the topic that never dies, there was a big event (laughs) this week for myself. When we started talking about Apple Pay, I was always mentioning that there was only one card left to be added to Apple Pay, and my Tangerine, Tangerine debit card is now finally supported by Apple Pay. So uh, Tangerine announced last week that they are hashtag family Apple Pay compatible for their debit card, and wow. I'm super excited. Hopefully now this means that Yannick will be able to add all of his cards and he, I won't have to. I won't have to pay for his lunch again <laughs> next time we go out. That might be tonight, by the way. It hasn't happened for like a year and a half, two years now. <laughs> so I think you should stop saying that as if it's going to happen. Come on! It nearly happened last time we went it out. It nearly happened last week. It's true. <laughs> okay, so uh, the rest of my follow-up is regarding the last episode on the car buying uh, tips and tricks. And the first part I want to talk about is the latest ATP. <laughs> it, I don't think it's the latest while this show will, is, will be going out on Sunday. But on ATP 231 in the post show, Casey documented his car buying experience to replace his wife's uh, car. And what I would like to suggest you for that specific uh, part of the episode is, if you don't uh, listen to ATP, I would just invite you to go to the post-show. Marco loves to put chapters in ATP, so you'll be able to find it quite easily. And what I like about uh, that episode is, Marco talked a lot about the emotional burden of buying a new car, and 
related to the feeling of getting screwed when you buy a car, especially when you have to aggle a price at the most dealership where you need to aggle because they expect you to negotiate down the price. And the gist of it, why Marco explained his feeling regarding that is that Casey mentioned that he spent six months aggling for prices with different dealership to get the price he wanted to pay for that specific car and he also mostly talked about the emotional burden he felt and even like if they received a new car they are trying to enjoy the new car they love the new car but they are still like feeling a bit sad and anxious about this car purchase because of the anxious feeling of getting screwed over so it's super interesting. It's a, a part I didn't touch on on my episode. But yeah, uh, you can take all of my tips and tricks into consideration. But at some point, if it becomes too hard on you to negotiate, at some point, you just need to take a break. And that's kind of the gist of Marco's arguments. Last but not least on my car purchase, I would like to note that we are about to celebrate the one month anniversary of my car. And I nearly <laughs> drove like two, 2,500 kilometers in the last freaking month. So it's I drove the car a lot and Yannick is, not, is nodding in front of me, but he's happy that I drove it a lot because I came to see him a couple <laughs> of times this month. Uh, also, regarding a previous episode when I was discussing about different uh, motorsport events you can do with your own car, in this week, with the new car, I was able to attend two lapping nights. The first one, which was under heavy rain, which was quite funny with my first experience on the car and on uh, and it was raining like hell. So uh, it was super interesting to learn the new, the new dynamic of this car compared to my old car. And obviously last night, which was on a Wednesday's night, I go to another place where they, they do lapping nights. And hopefully this time I was able to do a, a couple of sessions on drive pavement and have a bunch of fun. And that's it for my portal follow-up. I think we all are going to talk about some magic cards, something that I don't know. I just played the game a bit, and you're still confused. Uh, yes, okay. yes, but I won't. Uh, I won't steal all of my points yet. So this episode is a follow a follow-up as episode to episode sixty-three, which we did back in May on collectible card games. And after recording that show, I quickly realized that a lot of the things that I liked about collectible card games. Uh, that I've played over the years uh, originated in Magic the Gathering, the game that invented the genre. And so I decided to check the game out after that realization, and today Dukadivya came over to my place to learn how to play the game. Um, Before we go into his personal experience with Magic the Gathering, and my personal experience with Magic the Gathering, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the process of getting into Magic the Gathering, because it's not as obvious as one would expect. Uh, As a newcomer, it isn't very clear what the best way to get into Magic the Gathering is. And after a lot, a lot of research, I found out that there are basically two main ways that Wizards of the Coast uh, recommends new players get involved with Magic. Um, And... The first one of these is Magic Duels. So Magic Duels is a free-to-play magic game available on many platforms, including iOS and consoles. It has a very comprehensive tutorial on the game's core mechanics, and for all of the mechanics that are added in the additional sets that have been released since the core set that the game was based on. Um, So in the case of Magic Duels, the version which is in the App Store right now, Magic Origins was released in 2016 or something, uh, and it was the core set for that year. Core sets have since been discontinued and re- in, re-announced for release in next year. Um, but they're basically sets that only contain the base mechanics of the games for new players. Um, and additional sets have like three to five new mechanics that are only found within that set. Um, 
Unfortunately, uh, there's some bad news about Magic Duels, which is a month or two ago, Wizards of the Coast basically decided that they were discontinuing Magic Duels, saying that the newest set, Hour of Devastation, which came out uh, three weeks ago, wouldn't be released on it, and that caused fans of the game to be very, very upset. Um, there is a replacement in the works. Uh, it's called Magic Digital Next right now, but no details have been announced. And unfortunately, the timing of this episode is a little bit weird because the first details about Magic Digital Next are going to come out on August 3rd. Um, so there is a digital way to get into the game, which does not involve Magic Online. This is separate from Magic Online, which you pay for individual cards at market rates like you do with paper. Magic Duels is very much like Hearthstone in the way that it's free to play. You can get free packs for completing different uh, achievements and all of that stuff. The problem is you're very limited in what cards you can play with. Uh, you can only play with stuff that comes out between core sets and not the history of all Magic cards, uh, which makes it easier for them to implement because, of course, they only have to implement certain mechanics and not all of the mechanics since 1993, which is a little bit insane, uh, especially when you consider that there are like three to five mechanics per set and there are five sets a year and it's been since 1993. That's a lot of mechanics. Uh, whoa, 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 wait a sec. Yeah, I, I do remember that Magic the Gathering is quite an old game. Yes. And not to say that it's unpopular, it's quite super popular, but I just kind of realized it's as old as us. Yeah, the 25th anniversary of Magic is next year. Wow, okay, impressive. Yeah. Hmm. So that's Magic Duels. Uh, the other uh, like gateway drug to Magic the Gathering that they suggest in paper this time, is the open house events at your local game store. So these happen the week before pre-release events for each new set, uh, and that comes out to about every 10 weeks. Um, you're given for free three, uh, two 30-card welcome decks with cards featuring the most basic mechanics. Uh, these are usually evergreen mechanics, as they're called, so flying, lifelink, trample, stuff that is in every magic set, basically. Um, and regulars of the store come in to teach new players how to play. And uh, you might be wondering, how do they get regulars to come into the store to come teach new players to play? And that they give away uh, special promo cards uh, to the players so that they can have blinged out cards in their deck uh, if they help people learn how to play Magic. Um, many stores also give away welcome decks throughout the rest of the year if they have any extras left, though it is not required of them. And unfortunately, my store did not have any welcome decks to give me, so I ended up getting two Planeswalker decks, which is what we played with today. Um, Planeswalker decks are the introductory product you can buy for Magic. The cards in these decks are a little bit... They're like a step above the ones in the welcome deck in terms of complexity. They feature more mechanics of the games, but are still basic relative to a normal deck you would find in a normal environment, uh, which I'm sure Ducati is stressed out about because he had <laughs> trouble dealing with the base mechanics of the Planeswalker decks. Yeah, I think we'll come back on that, but I think like I'm, we ended the second game, I was like, yeah, maybe after playing a couple of more games, I would get like the gist of it better than with only two games, obviously. But yeah, we'll see. I'm sure we'll discuss it more. Yeah. Uh, Planeswalker decks, as the name implies, revolve around Planeswalkers, which are the main story characters in Magic the Gathering. And they're a special card type which behaves differently from normal creatures. Um, we're not going to go into the details of that, because if you want to learn how to play Magic, you can go learn how to play Magic yourself. Uh, Planeswalkers in Planeswalker decks and cards that are designed exclusively for the inclusion in the Planeswalker decks are intentionally designed to be bad in a competitive environment, but they're made to be balanced when playing against other Planeswalker decks. 
Um, so they're really meant as introductory product, products, but you can't really take this deck and do anything worthwhile with it once you've learned how to play the game, which is a little bit unfortunate. Uh, next thing I want to discuss is the many different ways you can play Magic. And this is one of the things that amazes me about Magic, is there are so many formats you can play. And wait, 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 before you go on, you don't want to touch, ah, uh, did you introduce me to Magic? Or you want to keep that after that? Well, well, we'll talk about it afterwards. Okay, no yeah. problem, no problem. So there are two big buckets of ways you can play Magic. There's Constructed and Limited, and I think this is going to clear up some of the ambiguity you had about like how the League works and all that stuff. Uh, so Constructed is when you use cards in your collection or buy cards to create a specific deck. And there are multiple formats in Constructed. So there's Standard. Standard is sort of the big format that they try to push. Uh, it lets you play with any cards released from sets released over the last two years. Um, so again, the business that they're in is selling packs of cards, so they try to push standard because it keeps rotating and forces you to buy more packs of cards. Like This is understandable from a business point of view. Then there's non-rotating formats or eternal formats like Modern and Legacy. So Modern lets you play with any card released in a standard legal set since the release of 8th edition in 2003. Um, so that's quite a lot of cards. Like nearly the last 15 years. Yeah, pretty much. Um then there's Legacy, which lets you play with any card released in Magic, aside from the very earliest cards, which were, like, they weren't thinking about the longevity of the game at all, so they made crazy powerful cards that were too powerful and would dominate the format if they didn't ban them. But anything else is pretty much legal. Okay, so the early cards are considered banned right now as we speak. In Legacy. Because there's also Vintage, and Vintage is the format where everything is basically allowed, except those Cards that are banned in Legacy, you're limited to having one of them in your deck in Vintage. Uh, huh, just okay. to keep the power level limited. Now, the thing is, the banned cards in Legacy are also incredibly expensive. Uh, Black Lotus is like $20,000 on the market. Yeah. So but it's like a nearly 25 years old card. Yeah, and the reason for this is there's a list called the Reserved List, which is anything released within, I think, the first three years of Magic cannot be reprinted. Uh, within certain limits, and that keeps the prices very, very high. And the only place where they can be reprinted technically is online because it's not devaluing the value of the paper cards, but any, they can't do paper reprints of those cards to introduce new players to those formats because they want to promise investors that their cards are going to continue being worth what they are right now, which is many thousands of dollars. Okay, so it's just the purpose of... These cards are worth a lot, so we're going to keep them being worth a lot and screw the players who want to play with those cards. Wow, but in a way, the company that makes them doesn't... Like, right now, since they're not printing them anymore... They're not making money on those cards. Yeah, and I'm guessing they're not, like, asking their, like, official stores or, like, franchisee, whatever, to get a cut when they do, like, second-end trades or stuff yeah, like no, that. It's entirely for the secondary market. It, Wizards of the Coast does not benefit from this. Trust me, if they could take back the promise they made back in 1995 when they made this list and say, we are going to be reprinting all of these cards, they would make like thousands of dollars because people want to play with those cards. Okay, so it's an old promise. They're still keeping... They invented trading card games, so they had no idea what the impact of this decision was going to have long-term because they made the new kind of game possible. So oh. they regret it to some extent today, but they made a promise to their investors and now it would be sort of like shooting them in the foot to actually say, we're not doing this now. yeah. So if you want to play a Legacy or Vintage and you're a new player, like go play online. Black Lotus is only like $50 instead of $10,000. Uh, 
Um, in all of these constructed formats, you create a 60-card deck with no more than four of any single card. Uh, that's just the general rule there is for constructed formats. Then there's a second bucket, which is limited. And limited is when you buy a certain number of packs uh, for an event, and you build a deck out of those cards you have in those packs. Um, which so, is what you were trying to explain to me before we record. Yeah, uh, so... One of these formats is sealed. Sealed is when you buy six booster packs and make a 40-card deck out of those cards and use that deck for the rest of the tournament. This is the format that's played at pre-release events. Um, Magic League is sort of a variation of that, uh, except you start with three packs and you add one every week. And since you start with half the number of cards that you do in regular sealed, you have to build a 30-card deck instead of a 40-card deck. Uh, sealed is a format which is called continuous construction, which means you can continue to change your deck at any time throughout the event if you realize your deck is lacking in some way or another. You just have to stick to the pool of cards that you opened at the start of the event. Uh, then there's draft. So draft is interesting. It has more strategy than sealed, because in sealed you have a pool of cards and you build a deck entirely from that pool of cards, whereas draft you're interacting with other players when selecting which cards you're choosing. So each player opens a booster pack, they pick a card from their booster pack, and they pack the, uh, they pass the pack to the player that's next to them. And you do this for three packs per player, and then you create a 40-card deck from the choices that you took out of each booster pack. And that allows you to actually get a coherent archetype of deck, usually, that you don't necessarily have guaranteed in the sealed format. Then there's another one that I threw in here because we did this a couple uh, weeks ago and it was tons of fun, and it's Pack Wars. Each player buys one pack. You shuffle the pack with three basic lands of every color, and then you use that as your deck. It's super fun to learn new cards because you, when a new set comes out, nobody knows the cards or whatever, and you just play with whatever's in the pack. And sometimes you get totally screwed by luck. Uh, sometimes you get like a deck that has no creatures and only instants and sorceries, and you're like, what am I supposed to do now? But you have to deal with it. Yeah, the fun is in that, exactly. Yeah, it's really ridiculous sometimes. Then there are some more casual formats that are created by the community. So the most popular one is EDH, or Commander. Uh, this is probably the most popular magic format in the area, I would say. And everyone has a 100-card deck, but every card is a singleton. You cannot have others. And you have a Commander, which is a legendary creature card, that determines the colors of every other uh, card in your deck. Um, and unlike regular Magic, you can play this up to four players. Uh, so it adds a lot of dynamics, and there's politics, because you can negotiate with other players to do things to help each other. And the deck-building process allows for a lot of self-expression. So that's very popular. Uh, another popular format is Popper. So Popper is only cards that common rarity can be used in a Popper deck. And what this means, in practice, is that your deck is going to cost $30 if you're online or $50 in paper, but $50 in paper gets you a top-tier deck, uh, whereas a top-tier deck in uh, Standard might cost $300, and in Modern might cost $1,000, and in Legacy might cost $7,000, you know, so it keeps whoa, it keeps the inflation limited. Uh, there's also an extreme variant of this online, which is called Penny Dreadful, and I love this format, except I don't like Magic Online, so I don't play it. But basically, the way it works is a week before a new set comes out, they average the price of each card, and every card that is worth a penny is legal for the next season. And this means you can build a whole deck for 60 cents, which is super reasonable, and it, there's a lot of really good cards in that format that just aren't viable in other formats, and 
if a card gets too popular, it gets banned next season because it's worth more than a penny. So it's a self-regulating rotating format. It's not really cool because you always have to rotate your cards every season and you have a lot of churn, but it's only a penny, so who cares? Um, one last one I want to mention before we move on is Frontier. Uh, I'm only mentioning this because I'm a big weeb and I love Japanese stuff. Uh, <laughs> Frontier is a new modern created by the Japanese card shop Haruya, and it's their attempt to create a non-rotating format that's accessible to the Japanese market. Um, in Japan, modern cards are less available than outside of Japan, and this makes it so that they start at the M15, uh, Magic 2015. So basically everything since 2015 is legal. And this makes it a lot more attractive to new players like myself, because any cards you collect from this point are likely to have a big impact on the format, whereas it's less true in Modern, where older cards have a much higher power level and newer cards have been dumbed down a bit to keep the complexity of the game accessible to newcomers. Um so it's a really cool format. Uh, it's especially popular in Toronto, which is cool, except it's not very popular here. Um, but I do want to try to play Frontier when I'm in Japan next year, because that sounds cool. Um, so I just listed like 12 different ways to play Magic, and all of this sounds super complicated and confusing to a new player, probably. Yes. Yes? Okay. <laughs> yes, That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? With all of this explanation, that's kind of the format we decided to, right? Because you told me I could start watching videos. I'm like, yeah, I'm on vacation. I don't have time. And I don't want to at the same time because I think it will make for a funny show. Which, uh, But with all of this explanation, the different way of playing, and now that we played two games together, start to pick up on some stuff I was kind of not understanding properly while playing. Yeah. So the formats that are going to be available to you as a player are largely dependent on where you play and the people you play with, because if they all have commander decks, you're probably going to want to play commander because that's what people are playing. Um, if you're playing at the kitchen table with friends like we did, uh, we can basically use whatever rules we want because it's our house. We can do what we want. And the thing to understand from all of these formats is not necessarily anything about any individual format, but rather that the game of Magic is such a big game with thousands and thousands of cards that it really is just a framework on top of which you can build other games with different limitations and creative restrictions. And the formats are just official rule sets to guide people in the certain direction that's common to everyone so that we aren't all playing with weirdly different rules. Um, and... Wizards of the Coast have sort of realized that, and they've started creating more curated products. Uh, I call these closed system products. So they have this product called Arch Enemy Nicol Bolas, which is based on the latest set of Magic. And it's sort of like if ma they made a Magic board game. They put four decks together in one box that are meant to be played together and form a cohesive experience. And they introduce new rules, uh, like in this case, Arch Enemy, it's one player versus three players, which is not something that you normally play in Magic, but it follows the same rules as the rest of Magic. So if you know how to play Magic, you know how to play Arch Enemy Nickel Boss. And they're going to make other products like this with other sets as they go on. But I just think it's a very interesting way to approach the design of board games in a way. So that's where my prepare notes go. Now we need to start talking about what we did upstairs. Yeah, that's a good point. But you know what? Before we go on, I do have a first question regarding Magic Online. Yes. Because in our episode when we discussed the apps, the card game online apps, you kind of hint at it without talking too much about it because you didn't know it. Yes. Now that you've played the game and you say that you don't like it, 
why don't you don't why do you not like the game compared to the other uh, card trading trading game that you played online? So Magic Online feels like it was made for Windows. 95 maybe <laughs> um and this is it's not just because i'm a snob even like people who actually enjoy using windows say that it's bad like it is a catastrophe of app design and pretty much everyone agrees on this in fact magic duels which is the other online uh, magic game that i was talking about earlier which is free to play and all of that stuff its ui is much more approachable to people who have played hearthstone and all of that stuff because it looks less like you're trying to play magic in excel and it looks more like you're playing magic on a table hmm okay i see the point it has a very bad user interface trading cards is very strange um there are lots of weird bugs in fact there were uh, infinite cycles that you could do with certain cards in the game that just crash magic online uh so that Ooh, is the thing that can happen crash yeah. the servers no, not the servers, the client app. Okay. It just creates an infinite loop of tokens on your computer, and then, well, you run out of RAM and it explodes. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. But the Magic Online app is a mobile app, or it's really No, for it's only desktop. Windows. Oh, it's, oh, really? Yes. So that is limiting. Wow, okay. And it has been designed, like, like what, 15 years ago, and that's it? Or it's like quite... I think the first version of Magic Online came out in 2003, something huh, like that. Okay. And they so... just sort of patched on top of that and never really did a ground up re rewrite. And that's what I'm hoping uh, Magic Digital Next is. We don't really know anything about it, but it sounds like they want to bridge together the Magic Duels world and the Magic Online world into something that maybe is more like Pokemon Trading Card Game Online, which is much more modern uh, compared to Magic. Which would make sense because... In our previous episode, that's what we discussed. Mostly all of their competitors. Yeah. Which they have, in general, some, uh, like you discussed, their experience was not that great. But even if we take the worst experience you enjoyed, it was way better than what Magic Online is, according to what I understand. Yeah. A lot of Wizards of the Coast's business decisions seem to be motivated by the fear of Hearthstone. And they are very afraid of losing to Hearthstone, whereas I think they're two very different games and they should be treated as such. Um, but I guess now they're freaking out about Hearthstone, so we'll see what their digital strategy takes from Hearthstone and tries to build into uh, Magic Digital next. Uh, the other thing is, like, physical cards are always just more appealing to me than digital cards, uh, especially ones that have value, like the ones in Magic. Um, now, I'm not going to say, like, most cards have value because that's not true, but, like, I've opened Mythic Rares three weeks in a row, and maybe tonight, fingers crossed, I'm going to open a fourth <laughs> one, and, like, every time I've opened those packs, I've had at least $20 of value, which is actually pretty decent. Yeah, it's good. Hopefully, I won't scrap that for you by <laughs> uh, being with you at the event. But, uh, yeah, so that, uh, it is a small parenthesis, just because that was a question that popped in while you were talking but yes, we can go now to what we just did uh, just before recording. And funnily enough, uh, with all that Yannick mentioned about how to start playing Magic, we started with something that was not part of that list, which is Yannick teaches me how to play it with the assumption that I know nothing about it except that it's a card game, right? So a lot of time when he explained it to me, I kind of had to uh, reflect on... It, it It was a weird mix in my head because I had to reflect on what I know about Pokemon without knowing how to play the card game, just playing the RPG, and just playing RPG in general, 
which when I did mention that, and it kind of did a funny face, I think you did like the comparison that I did, but you kind of find it funny at the same time. Yeah, I think like the way that combat damage is calculated and all that stuff doesn't necessarily come intuitively to someone who played Pokemon or something like that. Because the Pokemon trading card game, you actually... So in Magic, when you get attacked, the damage basically gets restored. Your health gets restored at the end of each turn. Whereas in Pokemon, you, you put counters on your card, which actually indicates that it's taken damage. Yeah, like and in a way, I think that's the... like. If I go back to my RPG analogy, I think it's the less RPG-alike feature yeah. of Magic, where it just resets. So it, But I think it's also part of the one of the big strategy component of the game, right? Is you need to make sure the calculation fits right if you attack that it at least your attack is worth it. Yeah, and Planeswalker decks, as I mentioned, are pretty limited in what they have inside them. But in a normal deck, you would have what they call combat tricks, which are basically instants you can play to make your your creature stronger to actually deal that amount of damage. Or you could play a burn spell that would say, okay, I'm attacking you for three, and then... I'm also dealing three damage to your creature via the spell that I played. So there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. Of course, the Planeswalker decks is trying to teach you how to play the basic elements of the game, and so that stuff isn't there. And sometimes it can be problematic. Like those decks, um, one time I built uh, an artifact, and I told you there are cards to remove artifacts, but not in the decks that we had. Yeah, that's true. And, but the reason why you told me that is... I. Obviously, I didn't like the effect because it was it was restoring life <laughs> yeah. every turn, and then if you build up enough blocks, I think you did, bricks. Whatever, bricks. Yes, if you build up enough bricks, it then it will become a permanent effect without you having to pay uh, energy on it. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, first thing I ask is like, how the fuck do I remove that from you? And he's like, ah, you can't. Yeah. In that deck, but if it were another deck or something we built. We could I could have added a card that maybe luckily enough I would like draw on it, uh, uh, and then I could be able to cancel it. Yeah, in a normal play, you have what's usually called the sideboard. Uh, so in constructed formats, it's fifteen cards and unlimited. It's the rest of your pool, and basically between games, uh, normally games are two out of three to determine the winner. Uh, between games, you can switch cards to have a strategy that is more focused to the deck that your opponent is playing. So if your opponent is playing a big artifact deck and you have no cards to remove artifacts, but you do have them in your sideboard, then you can swap that in for another card if you want, uh, which is useful. Um, of course, there's always going to be strategies you can abuse. Like um, if you know that your opponent only has access to one card in the set that lets you remove uh, enchantments and your entire deck is enchantments then you know that they can only play four copies of that card and if you have more than four enchantments then you can guarantee that they're only going to remove four enchantments of those cards uh, and sometimes it can be an effective te technique to make decks that are weird and not really super optimal win because you know that there are no answers to that deck and you can just screw them by playing just weird combinations of cards that nobody would expect. Yeah, and I think if we go back a bit about the two games we played, let's do it this yeah. way. So We only played two games because we were a little bit time-constrained. Yeah, sadly, sadly. Uh, so we started... Yeah, Nick, you told me that you gave me the, like, 
stronger deck. Yes. Just to make it a bit more fair. Yes. And obviously, the, after the first game, I was like, all lost still. <laughs> and as you might expect, Yenig was like, yeah, I won, I won, of course. I was not. <laughs> yes, you okay. were. Yes, you were. You even suggested that I come in the league tonight just for you to make a win. And that I don't like. That I don't <laughs> like. You have to own to that. You have to own that. I did say that. <laughs> you did say that. That's good. But uh, yeah, so after the first game... Even if I lost, I was still like, what the fuck is that game? Let's be <laughs> honest. Uh, and that's kind of expected on a strategy-heavy game. Uh, you, you still need, need to get, get through it. I think the, another comparison that I just made on the spot is when you play Risk for the first time. Mm. Right? Uh, you Obviously, somebody that has played more than one game will introduce you to, introduce you to Risk. So they always end up kicking your ass. And then... You start to see what they do, and then you start to learn your own strategy. So, uh, at the same time, while the game were the two games were going through, I was asking questions because I didn't remember some of the keywords. And Yannick was like, e-, and "I was like, yeah, maybe I should not ask you that, right? I think I had to ask you about LifeLock, LifeLink, Li- LifeLink, yeah." And I was like, "Yeah, if I ask you that, it kind of indicates what I have in my deck." And Yannick was like, "Yeah, don't worry, I know all of this deck by heart, so." I kind of know what you have without knowing if you ask any question. But after asking a couple of questions and then maybe like stopping it while he was playing, which may sound a bit impolite, but when you learn, it's the best. I think personally, if you learn to play a board game, whether it's a card game, whatever, it's important to just like do one of those games where you play and kind of spend less time about the instruction and the rules at the beginning, but just play and get in the rhythm of playing. And then it is where you learn it best and after the second game i felt more confident not because you won that game I yeah should say. yeah that's fair i was about to say that i was about to sort of add that it's not because i won it's because i started to understand how to how the cards were i was starting to ask less question mm-hmm. and know where to place them and i understood why you kind of lost too right and i think it was part of luck for myself and miss luck for you because you ended up with a lot of mana yeah. yeah you just ended up with a lot of lands and you had shit ton of land but no card to use them yeah and in reverse i end up with a lot of cards with no lands at all but ended with the last card i needed <laughs> to just finish the game which then is uh what happened but then after the game ended, then it went like gladly reminded me that this is only like the strategy level is I wouldn't say low, because you did mention that there's welcome packs now. Uh, but the strategy level is low to mid-level. Because you did mention that there's a lot more rules, a lot more other types of card and effects and whatever. And then I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, uh, like right now in standard, there's we're like right about to hit rotation. So there's maybe like three years of cards in the thing. Um and the earlier sets, I don't even know what the meta- mechanics are. Like, I've never even seen them. Uh, I know the last year's sets have vehicles. I don't know what the rules for vehicles are. Uh, okay. I only know energy because I have it in my standard deck, uh, incidentally. Um, so if I play against one of these decks, I'm not sure what I'm allowed to do or not, which is daunting. And that's just standard. That's just the last two to three years of what's out. So imagine going into a format like Modern, where it's last 15 years of cards you're going to see tons of mechanics you don't know, and you might not have the handful of cards that are able to respond to a certain kind of threat. Um, And that's fun to some people, because it means 
you're allowed to have a lot more different kinds of decks in the format, whereas in Standard, you basically know what the top five or ten decks are, and pretty much everyone gravitates towards those decks because they have such a high win rate compared to the rest. Uh, and in Modern, like, since there's 15 years of stuff, you can make a crazy enchantment deck, and if the other person doesn't have lots of cards to remove enchantment because that deck isn't very popular, you can win games because they can't kill your enchantments. Uh, so... It's really interesting to see that dynamic with the game. And there's just a lot of possibility for self-expression in your deck types. Like, you can just choose completely weird mechanics that people don't like or find complex. Like, you were talking about how complex the game was. Like, one of the mechanics that exists is Storm, uh, which is popular for being, like, arguably one of the most complex mechanics that was ever introduced to Magic ever, and they regret (laughs) introducing it. Oh, wow. Which is basically every time you cast a spell, you can make copies of the spell you're playing for the number of spells you played previously in the turn. Uh, which means you have to keep a mental counter of those things. I'm not sure if the ca- if the copies count as well. Probably they do. Um, but it means it can get r- really, really out of hand quickly. Yeah, and then if you're not expecting one of those behavior, you might just get totally, totally fucked at some point. Yep, and I don't know what the interaction is with counter spells and other stuff like that. I showed you my standard deck, which is ridiculous and has half counter spells and half burn spells, which is a ton of fun to play, except you can see on the other person's face that they hate you for (laughs) playing it. If that's what you're looking for, uh, your opponent's face, that's good. But at some point, people might just stop playing with you because of that exact reason. It's true, but at the same time, if you're playing in a tournament, you're going to play what wins. And so you don't necessarily want to choose something that is intentionally bad just to be nice to other people. No, totally. But I think that if I understood correctly, there's a difference between what you do in the league and a typical tournament. Yeah, so last week I started the Magic League at my local game store, and I guess we should talk a little bit about that because we're going to go to the league later. You're going to watch me play games. Yes. I'm not listening to Yannick. I won't join the league. You beat me once. You could probably beat me again. Oh, come on. Um, But yeah, so Magic League, like I said earlier, uh, you join the league, you get access to three booster packs, and you build a 30-card deck with those packs. And I basically got forced into making... What was it? Uh... No, it was red-blue. I built a red-blue deck um, with those packs because it was basically the only stuff that I had viable cards for, uh, which is unfortunate because I also got a Scarab God, which is a black-blue multicolor card, which is a mythic rare that is incredibly powerful, but I had like no good black cards I could use to actually make a black-blue deck to use the Scarab God, which is unfortunate. So I'm hoping today, please, good cards in black so I can build a deck that actually works. Hopefully my presence will help you, something like that. Hopefully. Maybe. Um, I tend to think I tend to think yes on that. By the way, <laughs> and Magic League every week you get an extra pack, and every three losses you can add an extra pack if you want to. So if you are losing a lot, you can just buy your way to a better deck, which I'm sure the game shops love. Um, and that's nice, but it also means you can't really build a specific archetype that you come ahead of time knowing you're going to build. Um, Like, right now, my standard deck and my league deck are both red and blue. However, they're very different in practice because the ratio of which sets I can use is different in league, and I have less cards to deal with, and I'm dealt randomly. Whereas my standard deck, I built a list of cards, I went to the store, I bought precisely those cards, and they are in my deck. Um, 
So it's a very different dynamic. And of course, your opponents could have crazy mythic rares that they got out of a pack that you weren't expecting. Or some cards are way better in limited than they are in constructed. Because like I said uh, earlier, uh, in constructed, you can actually go out and buy the four cards that destroy enchantments and put them in your deck. In limited, it's completely random. So some strategies are even better in limited than they are in constructed because you can't guarantee the presence of those cards in people's decks. Um, so one of the cards is Approach of the Second Sun, where if you have two of them in your deck and you play the both of them, you win the game. What? Yeah, I, I have one of those cards upstairs. It's literally like the first time you play Approach of the Second Sun, you get some effect. The second time you play Approach of the Second Sun, you win the game. And like one person had a deck where they had two Second Suns in their deck <laughs> and they are destroying the league right now. Oh. Uh, there's another card, which is... Really, wow. really terrible. I think it's Torment of Scarabs, which I was beaten with last week and during the pre-release, which is at the start of each turn on your upkeep, destroy an unland permanent or discard a card or lose three damage. So, Whoa, that's... So that basically means you have to destroy something every single turn or discard a card or you take three damage. And if you don't have a card to remove an enchantment, you're screwed basically long term because you can't really play things and then destroy them the next turn and yeah, it yeah. snowballs very quickly so if you get that out on like turn three turn four you are getting a lot of mileage out of that card and it's very very good in uh limited but it's not that great in standard so learning those things can be very useful. Uh, there's a podcast called Limited Resources, which is entirely about how to play Limited Magic the Gathering, and it's a very entertaining podcast. Uh, I have learned a lot from it. Of course, I haven't actually won that many games uh, by <laughs> listening to it, which is unfortunate. But that's good, and I think that's what makes me freak out less now that I'm starting to learn it. I don't think... Let's be honest, I don't think I'll continue, because from even from what I've played with you... I do know that it's not my type of board games and card games. Uh, but learning more about that is the reason why I ask Enig that we do that. And now that I understand that there's different ways to play the game, and it, like you mentioned, it's more of a framework, it makes me think maybe maybe I could pick it up when the online version is there to see if... because No, but like you mentioned, uh, the company is trying to make... to build a way to bring more players to it while keeping the cost down. And for those players, it makes it fun because I think in most cases where like you have to buy shit ton of shit, you end up by most people that usually win is the people that invest a lot of money yeah. and a lot of time in that game. And in a way it can be frightening to new players. Mm. And the fact that they think about that now that they have like the 25 year experience makes me think that maybe I can find a way I could enjoy this game, even if it's not the same as you, Yannick. Yeah. And like, like I said earlier, like the closed system products, like Arch Enemy, Nicol Bolas, or whatever, it's literally like, you can buy this box, and as long as you know the rules of magic, you can play that game out of the box, never have to buy other cards. Um, More like a board game. Yeah, pretty much. And they're going to continue, like, there's a new one that's announced for this fall set. Uh, I think it's called Explorers of Ixalan. But they're basically creating these products for people who know the basic rules of magic, who want to play something but don't necessarily want to invest tons of money every time. And, of course, you can also play uh, formats that are not rotating. Like, if you're playing a modern deck, 
Modern never rotates. Uh, so you can add cards to your deck gradually as new stuff comes out that is more powerful for certain archetypes of decks. Although, let's be honest, these days that's not really happening so much uh, because of changes in the philosophy of card design and stuff like that. But you can buy a modern deck and continue to play that deck in modern for as long as modern exists. Um, and I think that's appealing to a lot of people as well. However, there's a lot of controversy right now about whether or not Wizards of the Coast is trying to deprecate modern and all that stuff. And it, lots of drama in the scene about that stuff if you actually pay attention to it, as any good community does. Uh, but yeah, there, there's a lot of ways to play Magic, and I think there's a way for pretty much anyone to enjoy Magic if they're into trading card games. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be an eternal money sink. Wow, I think we should end on that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good conclusion on the topic. So rather short episode this week, but I think it works out because we're a little bit time constrained. Yeah, and I think we'll have a, a bit of follow-up because of the event we're going to attend tonight. Yes. And uh, maybe I'll be able to bring my own perspective in the next episode in the follow-up section about that. That would be o- cool. Hopefully, hopefully, let's make sure that Yannick brings back a win. <laughs> I would like that. So what should I do? Do you I should need go to... buy four packs of cards. Oh, come on. Come on. Me. No, that's me. I was, uh, I, was, I was about to mention maybe kidnapping other players, but that could be uh, in some weird territories if I do that. Oh, but that's okay. So if you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can go on our website at limitlesspossibility.net slash 69. Nice. I did. Yeah, that's good. You can also find other episodes. Uh, we mentioned a lot of back episodes of our catalog, so you can find them at limitlesspossibility.net. If you want to follow the latest news about this episode, like a picture of Yannick and I set up right now, you can go on Twitter at, at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can also find myself on Twitter at, at Lucanoche. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. To these days, you can expect a lot of Twitter of uh, car pictures and car stuff. And you can go on Twitter to find Yannick at... Sakurina, S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.